Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. This is a challenging time, probably the most challenging in 30 years. Coming out of the financial crisis, 600 billion in ETF assets. They're starting to understand that there's more opportunity outside of those major market indexes. Tom, I was so bummed that I couldn't make it out to a future proof last week. How was it? It was great, Nate. It was made for you. Uh, you know, the beach, IPAs, barbecue, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. I know you'll be there next year. I will. It looked uh, very colorful. You know, seeing the the pictures out on Twitter, you couldn't help but, uh, you know, have them catch your attention. Just the colorful tents. It just it really did look like a festival. It was. It You know, it was great. I mean, you gave a little background. The, the folks at Advisor Circle, you know, Matt Middleton, John Swolves, Matt Hogan, who are our partners in exchange, and also the team over at Ritholtz, you know, Barry Ritholtz, Josh Brown, Mike Batnick, Ben Carlson, and their dynamic team. You know, they're managing over $3 billion right now. But collectively, they took a pretty big risk. Nate, I'm, I'm not sure you know, but I live in Huntington Beach. On the, week, on the weekends, I'm walking by this location all the time, and they, they use it for a lot of things. You know, van sets up skate shows. They pro volleyball out there, dog shows. I, I'm, I wasn't sure if these guys could pull off a financial festival, but they did it in spades. I mean, the, the stages were beautifully laid out, meeting places, colorful exhibit tents, uh, live podcasts food trucks all over the place with any type of food you can imagine but they did it they did it just right it was great well in terms of the content that was there i mean obviously there's a lot going on in the financial markets i know there's a lot of clearly innovation happening within the uh, financial advisory space technology those sorts of things did you have any major takeaways anything that really stood out to you at the conference well, the big thing that stood out to me is that I'm really old because the average the average attendee there was about 35, which was great because there's a new generation of financial advisor out there and they've got a voice and they've got a strong voice and they have a diversified voice. And you could see that throughout the conference. You could see it in the conversations. You could see it on stage. Um, it was edgy. It was risky. It was all around connecting advisors with their clients and their employees and celebrate, uh, celebrating how advisors do it today. And, and it's not the way you and I grew up in, with the traditional build out of an advisor and, and their community and their business, but everybody has got their own niche and their own way about doing things. And that was celebrated in the conference. So, you know, there are things like Obviously, ESG, climate change, was, was uh, you know, front and center. But there are also things like Brian Portnoy was talking to advisors about the importance of telling stories and how to tell stories. You know, we grew up in the financial advisor business, and it, and it was all about the facts, and it was all about sales, and it was all about bringing uh, clients on board. It was all about following the discipline. It was all about structure. Today, it's all about creativity and finding the right clients for your practice and being encouraged to do so. That, so it was great. 
Now, now I would say it was a little toasty at the beginning. It, it was a little hot out there and it was uh, teed up as business casual as far as the attire, but pretty quickly people threw their suits off and they were in shorts, t-shirts, sundresses, shades, which really made it fun. Well, I know this wasn't uh, obviously an ETF-focused conference. As you mentioned, that'll be uh, exchange next February. But I'll ask you, just because this is an ETF-focused podcast, was there anything at all specific to the ETF space that caught your attention uh, at uh, FutureProof? There were a lot of innovative strategies there, um, but also making sure that you're bringing out what's best for this environment. You know, I'll give an example. Uh, Simplify has their pink ETF that they really put forward in a big, big way with the idea that breast cancer is a, 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 a big concern today. Uh, the Coleman Foundation that they partner with there, really, really key and critical. And uh, there were pink t-shirts all over the place. I know they're talking about doing a walk in Newport Beach in a couple weeks. Uh, really important. Vanguard was there in a huge way, spending a lot of time talking about the importance of fixed income, educating advisors who, after 30 years of declining rates, are seeing you know trouble on the fixed income side, but really educating advisors about new and innovative opportunities there. Uh, the ETF industry just naturally, I think, because of the Rithos crew and the Advisor Circle crew and their history in the ETF space were sprinkled all over the place, but also you could see financial technology companies really embrace with the idea that this next generation is leaning on technology to help them do a better job in managing portfolios and being more streamlined in their offices. I, I thought you said it really well earlier. I mean, the bottom line from my perspective is, is you're right. The game is changing here. The financial advisory profession is changing. This isn't our grandfather's financial advisory uh, business or, or profession. And you are seeing advisors really lean into technology and really try to uh, use creativity in terms of how they uh, educate clients and find the right clients for their practice. And again, I think that was uh, all reflected, at least what I saw on social media. And uh, again, I certainly look forward to being there next year. D to your point also, I mean, huge credit to Advisor Circle and the uh, the Ritholtz crew. I mean, I, I think a highly impressive feat to pull off what they did. I, I can only imagine the amount of work and planning that went into that, and I'm sure it'll be uh, even better next year. So congratulations yeah. to them. Yeah, no, it, it was great, Nate. And one final thing that you, you saw as soon as you got there, it wasn't only a young crowd, but it was a diverse crowd. Diverse in the audience, diverse on stage, and everybody had an equal voice and everybody was there and had a part of it. And, and you know, they, they set a new bar for the industry and for the conferences that I think future conferences will be measured against. You know, we're taking notes. Uh, we're going to take their lead in many areas and in ways that we're going to try to upgrade uh, exchange in February next year. And um, it's just it's just really, really exciting, especially coming on the back of COVID to be able to do something innovative like this. Uh, it was a joy to be there. All right. So while you were uh, enjoying the beach last week, <laughs> the, uh, the ETF world did not stop. And so what I want to do is I thought it'd be fun just to go rapid fire on several topics that popped up last week while you had a, uh, a, a pina colada in hand. 
And I know you're all caught up now, so you can speak to these uh, these various topics. So, uh, look, I'm going to tee up a, a topic. You can offer a hot take, and we'll just go from there with a the conversation. Does that work for you? That's great. Okay. So, first, I, I do want to ask you about this new Charles Schwab ETF study that came out last week. They do this every year. I think this was the uh, 11th year. And basically, they survey 1,000 investors who have bought or sold ETFs over the past two years. And then they survey 1,000 investors who haven't. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's a ton of data here. I, I think we could spend the entire podcast going through the survey. But I'll give you what I thought was the headline results here. And then maybe we can touch on a few of the other results as well. So it, listen to this. Schwab found that 93% of ETF investors expect to purchase ETFs in the next two years, and 41% of non-ETF investors expect to do the same. Now, the 93%, I don't think that was any big surprise. I, I would expect most current ETF investors to, to want to buy more ETFs. But, but Tom, that 41% number, that's a big number for non-ETF investors. And so maybe you can comment on that. And, and then I'd just be curious if anything else stood out to you in the uh, survey. Well, you kind of teed it up early. It's it's not a big surprise that ETFs are the investment vehicle of choice of today's investors, whether you're a baby boomer like me or if if you're a millennial. But it's definitely skewing towards millennials. We know baby boomers were brought up in the mutual fund world. Many of us hold mutual funds that we've had for decades. But we're also seeing flows tell us that things are skewing more towards ETFs. Uh, money's coming out of mutual funds at one point in time, and I'm sure you've seen Dave Nodding's chart, ETFs will surpass assets in mutual funds. And this is one of those years, Nate, that I, I don't want to derail the conversation, but quickly, we're seeing challenges in fixed income, challenges in equities, flows coming out of mutual funds in order to re meet redemptions Portfolio managers are going to have to sell low-cost basis stock. So we're going to have one of those years where we may have negative returns in equity mutual funds with pretty sizable capital gains. And advisors are, are smart to this. They're on it. And they're already doing tax loss harvesting. And where's money going from the mutual funds they're selling? It's going into ETFs. And we're going to be talking a lot about that in the next couple of months. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again. I, I've talked a lot about uh, this on the podcast. I mean, go back to 2008 in, in the financial crisis, and we saw active mutual funds underperform. And in my mind, that was really the catalyst to uh, jumpstart the movement towards ETFs. Then you fast forward to 2018 when the Fed tried to hike rates and the S&P 500 was down like 20 percent in the, in the back half of the year into, uh, into Christmas. What did we see then? Flows accelerated into ETFs. We saw it during the COVID crash of March uh, of 2020, right? We had the, the, the what, 33, 34% uh, move down pretty quickly. And then following that, we saw a rush of flows into e ETFs. Ended up being a record year following that. And I think we're seeing more of that this year. And to your point, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, I think advisors have wisened up on the tax side where they, they, if they're owning an active mutual fund, not only is the fund down, then they get a tax bill on top of that. And they're going, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, there's got to be a better way here. I think you see advisors who are just tax loss harvesting where maybe they have been in active uh, funds, especially on the bond side, just given the carnage in the bond space. So they're selling out of those active bond funds 
and looking around and saying, hey, here's a low-cost uh, option uh, in the ETF space that I can utilize. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons. And we can talk later. I want to talk about the uh, SPIVA scorecard because I think this plays into it as well. But, um, yeah, you know, this type of market environment I actually think is really beneficial to ETFs. And as I looked at this Schwab survey, I'll give you a couple other uh, data points and you can comment on, on them if you want. But 80% of investors who have purchased an ETF over the past two years said ETFs are their investment vehicle of choice. That's up from 71% last year. So I mean, 80% of investors who have purchased an ETF, ETFs are their preferred investment vehicle. Um, ETFs now make up 33% of ETF investor portfolios. That's up from 27% five years ago. And that's expected to go to 40% in the next five years. Uh, you touched on millennials. I mean, the survey did find that younger investors are big users uh, of ETFs. Obviously, that bodes well for future ETF growth. So that's, you know, as I looked at the survey again, I don't know that anything necessarily surprised me, maybe just because I, I know you and I cover the space so closely, but it's such confirmation to what's going on here. And I, I just don't see the growth slowing down anytime soon. No, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, they were opportunistic in this uh, study as well, where they were pushing their direct indexing. Um, and, and, you know, that will come for many good reasons. I, I think uh, advisors with that technology, especially if you happen to custody at Schwab, utilizing that for specific advisors, it's virtually free to be able to do that um, is a nice option too. I mean, look, uh, ETFs, are the investment vehicle of choice for all the right reasons. And there's more optionality than ever. And if you can layer in some greater technology to do a better job with client portfolios, um, Schwab's in a great spot. All right, so on the topic of uh, continued ETF growth, another big story last week was the ETF entrance of Alliance Bernstein. Uh, they launched two fixed income ETFs, the AB Ultra Short Income ETF, ticker symbol YEAR, uh, which I think is a great ticker. And then the AB Tax Aware Short Duration Municipal ETF, ticker TAFI. And it, it's funny, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Alliance Bernstein, they sort of went with a uh, military theme. So if you go to their website, and I tweeted this out, they have Echo Tango Foxtrot, like for ETF. And then their tagline is AB ETFs on active duty. So I, I thought that was uh, creative. But in their press release, Tom, uh, they said these are the first of what will be many active ETFs from them. And you look this year, you, you and I have talked about this uh, previously, active ETFs are clearly where fund companies are seeing a lot of opportunity. Uh, so any quick thoughts on Alliance Bernstein getting involved here? I, I mean, we're talking about a nearly $700 billion asset manager. Well, it's a great opportunity. Noel Archer, who heads up that group, and I, I think you know you know Noel. Uh, he ran the State Street ETFs before coming over to AB. Um, smart team. They grabbed a bunch of all-stars from the space to build out their team. We spent some time on the phone last week, and like you said, this is just the start. They're going to be moving into the equity space. And why are they doing that? Because their clients are asking them to. So they are a great active manager. Uh, the tax efficiencies in ETFs, their investment style makes sense. And kind of back to what we were talking about before, there are a lot of people that are just unhappy with their managers these days. If you're not uh, pulling your weight 
on the active side. And especially as we're, we're going to dive into the SPIVA report, we're seeing that passive, uh, the blooms off the rose a little bit there too, as more people are moving into active management, they're launching at the right time and they're going to do it in their own unique way. Uh, hence the branding that's coming with that. So watch them. They're going to be a big player um, and they're 110% committed to the space. Yeah, and to your point on clients asking for uh, for ETFs, I saw in their press release, Noel said, uh, ETFs have evolved into an important execution tool across asset classes and amidst the, uh, the recent market volatility, we feel it is critical to offer our clients diversity and efficiency. So I, I think that says it pretty well. And again, you look this year, I mean, Capital Group, Double Line, Matthews Asia, Newberger Berman. We have uh, Morgan Stanley coming in here later this year. I mean, these are enormous names, a, a ton of assets that are now getting involved in the space. And I, I know it sounds like we're beating the same drum, but it, to me, it's just such a tailwind for the growth of the, uh, the ETF space. Um, okay, yeah. go ahead. No, it just it just gets better, Nate, and it's great having these new players in. But you know what? Uh, it's new to them, and they have to retool. Hence, they're billing, bringing in all these companies, are bringing in experts from the ETF space, and uh, they're having to perform lobotomies at their companies to unlearn the way things were done in the past because the, the ETF world's completely different, and we've no, we've all noticed that, right? Well, and they're also bringing in new investors, right? Because some of these investors, take somebody like Capital Group, maybe the, some of these investors have only been in American funds in, in the past. And now with Capital Group offering ETFs, they're being exposed there. And so to me, that gets into a whole nother conversation around the importance of ETF education. And clearly, this is something that Betify is highly focused on. You know, it's something that I'm highly focused on. But that's only going to make the need for that even greater. Uh, as we bring in new investors who just haven't been in the space before. Again, that 41% of uh, non-ETF investors from the Schwab survey who are now going to be looking to use ETF. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Um, okay, on the note of active ETFs, last week we did get the most recent SPIVA scorecard. Uh, this is the mid-year 2022 report. And for people who aren't familiar with this, SPIVA stands for S&P Indices versus Active. And in a nutshell, this uh, scorecard measures the performance of actively managed funds versus their benchmarks. And again, Tom, this is another topic we could easily do an hour-long podcast on. But I'll, I'll just give you the, the, the headline stats here, which is that uh, it, basically active funds are, are actually performing much better recently. So 45% of large-cap funds outperform their benchmark over the one-year period ending in June, and 49% outperform for the first six months of this year. And those numbers were fairly similar uh, across mid and small cap funds. And so again, we were just talking about these big active shops getting involved in ETFs. Do you think uh, active is making a comeback? Is it possible they can keep these numbers up for a few years? And, and for listeners, when we can talk about this, Tom, you may hear, well, you know, 45% or 49%, that doesn't sound so great. That's much better than what it had been over the past, you know, decade plus. Well, right. Uh, you know, for the last 10 and 20 years, the number's been, you know, 7% that have outperformed. So passive has just crushed active over the last 10 and 20 years. So that's a $64,000 question, Nate. Can they keep it up? But with challenges in equities and challenges in fixed income, 
challenges in world economies, maybe there's opportunities for good managers to be in the right spots. That, that's what we think. And that's what a lot of these new players to the space are thinking because all the passive strategies, all those landscapes are already claimed. Uh, you're not going to come in with a passive strategy today and expect to get any money. You're going to come in with an active strategy and try to set yourself apart. Now's the time to be able to do that. Will that continue? We just don't know. That's that's the big question. However, that's what a lot of these companies like Newberger Berman, Alliance Bernstein, Morgan Stanley, that's what they're banking on. And uh, we'll see if they can continue to do that. Um, I, th I think also when you look at that SPIVA report, it really is true. I mean, long term, we know the average investor left to their own devices, lets their emotions run. They don't have necessarily the discipline. They're not necessarily great stock pickers. So buying long term indices and holding them over time has made sense. And the ETF industry has done a good job. Um, making sure that advisors and investors don't operate with their stomachs. They're using their brains. Technology has done a good job to be able to bring uh, portfolio performance to your phone so you can see what you're doing on a regular basis. It, 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 it's all coming into pass. And I think about, you know, my kids that are in their 20s that have ETFs and they're not making the stupid mistakes that I made when I was in my 20s. Uh, and so that's good. It's, it's good for investors today, and I think it will continue to be so. My big concern is if we have a run of two or three years where active does beat passive, we're going to see that pendulum shift, and people are going to start to be uh, stock cowboys again, and, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, to your point, to put some hard data around the longer-term performance here, uh, I, I pull from this report, only 10% of large-cap active managers, 20% of mid cap managers, and 9% of small cap managers have outperformed over the past 10 years. So, you know, that shows you the challenge. Now, I will say one of the reasons that's been pointed to why performance is better this year is there's been a much higher dispersion of returns among stocks. And so that makes uh, stock picking more beneficial, whether that's by skill or by luck, just having that high dispersion uh, it makes it easier to outperform. And interestingly, the last time we saw this type of dispersion was 2009. That incidentally happened to be the last year large cap funds outperformed when 52% beat their benchmark. So to, to your point, Tom, we'll see if they can keep it up. I, I guess one thing that I find interesting, you know, we were just discussing the, uh, the, the continued growth of ETFs, both in that Schwab survey and then with uh, Alliance Bernstein entering ETFs. I wonder if something has to give here. So, so like if these active ETFs run into the same performance challenges we've seen historically from most active mutual funds, does that become a headwind for ETFs as a whole? Just because there has been outsized growth from active ETFs, as I mentioned, that's where uh, I think a lot of asset managers see opportunity. I, I just wonder, uh, you know, can that remain a, a tailwind for ETFs? Or if the performance isn't there, is it just going to further propel index-based ETFs? Does that make sense? It's kind of an interesting conundrum there. Well, it is. But, uh, you know, Nate, we're having another good year in flows. We're over $400 billion. We're, you know, on a pace to be the second biggest year in flows for ETFs. Even though in the first four months of the year, we saw net redemptions in fixed income ETFs, uh, fixed income flows have come back in spades. So I, I, I guess... 
Um, it, it, it is till it isn't anymore. Um, it is the best game in town. So as we continue to see, you know, the economy, although slowing a bit, people are making money and they're being prudent and they're putting money away. Back to the Schwab survey, uh, ETFs are the investment vehicle of choice. So you got a lot of choice there. If as long as you diversify, it's great. And look, if you want to get in with some of the hot hands of the active managers and, and they will have their day and they may run for a while, which will be great. The good thing is there's a, there's a lot of choice, the tax efficiency, the low cost. It's just, you know, maybe you and I need to spend more time divvying up the marketplace and educating um, investors more on some of their choices. Uh, but there are also some great advisors out there that are doing just that. Well, and I'll, I'll add to what you just said. I mean, you mentioned the low cost and tax efficiency. If we're talking about active ETFs specifically and what that's going to look like moving forward, obviously having lower costs uh, of, of ETFs and then having a greater tax efficiency, that's going to lower the hurdle to beat the benchmark. And so compared to active mutual funds, you know, we can debate all day long the value of active management. I agree with you. Ultimately, it comes down to choice for investors and, and they can make that determination where they want to be. You know, I, I think the data speaks for itself, but the investor can make that decision. But one thing we do know is that lower costs are going to lead to, to, to better performance. And so at a very minimum for active managers using the ETF wrapper, I think they're going to have a head start, obviously, on, on mutual funds in terms of getting that outperformance. Um, all right, Tom, just a couple minutes left. Let's close by briefly touching on the financial market. So, of course, we have the uh, Fed meeting concluding tomorrow. They're expected to hike rates, uh, what, 75 basis points. And I know Vetify recently surveyed advisors on their uh, rate expectations all the way into 2023. So you and I were batting this back and forth a little bit on email. Do, do you mind? Do you want to just give us the results of that? And then I would like to talk just a little bit more about the ETF impact here as well. Yeah, um, the great thing is we're hearing from advisors every week as we survey them every week, poll them every week. And, you know, the big question was, what are your expectations for the Fed decision on interest rates over the next six to 12 months? And, you know, by far the, the vast majority, 57 percent say uh, keep raising rates into 2023 and, and they're going to remain elevated uh, about 37% said they'll pause after the next few FOMC meetings and remain elevated in 2023. Uh, so the, here's a couple of things we've noticed. When uh, the Fed became more transparent about what they were doing, which happened to happen in late May and early June, all of a sudden the market stabilized. Coming off of that June 16th low, even though it didn't feel good to hear about the size of the rates and the number of the rate hikes that we might uh, see coming, it, advisors felt more confident because the Fed was more transparent about what they were doing. So we saw a rebound off the low in equities and more money flowing into fixed income as well because the Fed was clearer about it. So even though a 75 basis point hike is baked in for this week, unless they surprise us with 100, 100 points. I think that's good for the market. And as long as we maintain and stabilize above that June 16th low and just get through this year, it will give the Fed at least some time to fight inflation 
that's the number one concern. You know, we've talked about this for the last two years as we're surveying advisors regularly. They were way ahead of the curve as far as their concern about inflation and what that might mean to the economy and rate hikes, where at the same time the Fed wasn't concerned about it or signaling that they weren't concerned about it. So what, what's the conclusion here? The more transparent, the more honest the Fed is with, with Americans, the more confident and less concerned investors will be. And they'll, they'll get through this for sure. But I, I think if there was a message and if you're sitting across the table from the Fed chair, it'd be like, look, we're adults. We can take the bad news. We know we need to take our medicine. Just be honest. But let me ask you this. So I, I think all that makes perfect sense. And if you look at where investors are putting money, I mean, geez, Tom, we're over 400 billion in inflows into ETFs. A lot of those flows are going to what you would expect, the VOOs and the IVVs and VTIs and those sorts of things. I, I guess what I'm curious about, I mean, do you think do you think anything else has changed? Like, do you think we'll continue seeing these monster flows into shorter duration bond ETFs or the big flows into more value oriented stocks, even though the, the Fed is perhaps offering more clarity, more transparency. Advisors are still tailoring things underneath the surface. So, like, I'll give you a couple of examples. I was looking this morning, uh, the iShares one to three uh, year Treasury ETF SHY that's taken in nearly six and a half billion dollars this year. The JP Morgan Ultra Short Income ETF JPST that's taken in three and a half billion dollars this year. We can go back to our conversation with. Uh, Alliance Bernstein. I mean, look where they're launching, right? A shorter duration ETF with something like year. I'm just curious if you think, uh, you know, anything's changed there in terms of how advisors are looking at the market, because if you can go and scoop up a 4% yield, you know, close to risk-free or, to, or you know, minimal risk, that can look pretty attractive in this environment. It can. And, and Nate, that's a game changer. You know, before, you know, money market funds, short duration, we're paying next to nothing. That's 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 a real return. Well, it's it's not a real return in the you know eight percent inflation number, but it's it's so much more. That wasn't there before. It, it wasn't there before, and and that's the thing. So in the meantime, as America and Americans continue to make money, they've got to put it somewhere. So being able to make something over that period of time, short durations hot right now. I mean. Uh, Let's say we do get close to four percent. I mean, we're seeing that uh, with with the inversion of the yield curve and the two year paying more than the ten year right now, there's a lot of attractiveness in those short duration ETFs. And uh, you know, everyone's waving their flag saying, "Come to me, come to me." Again, back to the whole choice thing. It's nice to get paid um, in money market funds for the first time, right? Well, to your point with everybody waving the flag, I mean, think about some of the innovation we've seen recently. I saw last week Bond Blocks, they launched these uh, target duration treasury ETFs. Those hadn't been on the market before. You think about uh, FM investments who launched those single treasury ETFs, right, that target particular tenor on the uh, yield curve. You're seeing a lot of innovation here to allow advisors to get more surgical. And I think a lot of that is driven by what we're talking about here, just, uh, you know, trying to park in shorter duration uh, products. But Tom, we're going to have to leave it there. So much fun chatting as always. Uh, thank you for joining me this week. Thanks, Nate. Talk to you soon. That was Tom Lydon, Vice Chairman of Vetify.